everyone, we are back with a new and improved ETS on the grid. We've got some new stuff, but one thing that hasn't changed is I am still your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is still my co-host, Aaron Hardick. How's it going, Aaron? I'm doing really well, Dylan. Uh, we've taken kind of a bit of a break from the show, but we're back to recording. Um, but on our break, I've actually gotten the chance to read quite a few books that have come out, energy-related books, that is. There's one by Dr. Michael Weber, who is actually a professor, an engineering professor out of the University of Texas at Austin that leads the Weber Energy Group. And he had this book come out called Power Trip, The Story of Energy. And I actually wanted to read the dedication of the book because I, I do believe it's pretty relevant to the conversation we're going to have today. Um, it says the book is dedicated. This book is dedicated to the more than one billion people who do not have access to modern forms of energy, but need it, and those who are trying to make our energy system better. So I've just been, you know, spending some of my downtime reading some of these books. Another book I'm reading is Superpower by Russell Gold, which really talks about kind of the story of building out some transmission infrastructure in the southern part of the United States. So. If you guys are looking for energy books to read, there are two fantastic suggestions. Yeah, thank you for that. I feel like everyone should be reading more, myself included. Um, so I appreciate those book recommendations. Uh, I'll definitely check out uh, Dr. Weber's, a friend of the pod, Dr. Weber, to borrow a phrase. Um, and I think that you're right, that dedication is very relevant to our guest today, uh, who's doing his part to try and bring energy and water to people who don't have it. So on the show today, he is a Kenninger Professor of Renewable Energy and Power Systems and Mechanical Engineering at Purdue and the Consortium Lead for the Future Energy Water Industry and Education Park, which is a proposal for a clean energy project along the entire U.S.-Mexico border. Professor Luciano Castillo. How are you, Professor? Hey, Dylan. Thank you so much, and Erin, for this kind invitation. I'm doing very well today, and uh Looking forward for a engaging and exciting discussion with both of you. As are we. Uh, but before we start talking about broader implications, can you give our listeners uh, a short rundown on what this project is and what its purpose is? Yeah, so uh, this is a project that we first envisioned this two years ago. And the whole idea, actually, when you were talking about the power transmission of the southwest of the United States, the whole idea of what we're trying to do here is to bring prosperity to the border region between U.S. and Mexico. And we argue that, uh, as Professor Michael Weber said in his book, there's a one billion people in the planet that do not have access to electricity and water. And one of the arguments that we're making that we could grow the U.S. border by bringing energy and water to the region. And if you think about it, right, the southwest of the United States is very rich in terms of wind resources and is one of the best places in the planet in terms of solar energy. So what we want to do is to leverage those two and actually our natural resources of natural gas that we have to actually bring water to the, to the desert. So if you think about it, we bring energy we bring water to the desert, that means we could blossom that region. That means we could bring agriculture to the region, we could bring new companies that could actually grow the economy in that region. And by doing so, we could actually create opportunities. And that's the whole idea of this project, that energy and water are essential ingredients to bring prosperity to that region, that would actually benefit U.S. and Mexico equally. And, and so, so this is what we've been working, and this is a, a consortium actually to include many institutions, many in the border states, like Texas A&M, University of Texas in Dallas. We also have partners in Arizona, Arizona State University, and in California with uh, Stanford, Caltech, and University of San Diego, um, which are some of our key partners. So within this team, and actually in Texas, we also have Rice University. Within this team, we put together 
some of the best scientists and engineers in the country to actually bring a creative solution to the southern of United States and Mexico. And this project is really interesting. It actually highlights the continuous nexus that exists in energy today in modern society, and that's the water energy nexus. I know that you know the inclusion of water desalination is part of this plan. So, can you talk a little bit, Luciano, about you know how much power is intended to be generate is intended to be generated, and the inclusion of water desalinization, why that was important, and kind of what the expected ROI or kind of benefits that come from uh, the proposed project are. Mm-hmm. The first part of this is, as you know, you have a desert, you have an arid region in the border states, right? And one of the key features of it is the sun, right? You have tremendous solar irradiation, you have tremendous wind, and you also have natural gas. You cannot have prosperity in the region unless you also have energy and water. Actually, if, if I go back to Professor Michael Weber's statement of, of the one billion people in the planet that do not have access to electricity and water, the quality of life actually is correlated to access to energy and water, right? So. In this particular case, when you look at the, the, the southwest of the United States and the border with Mexico, the, the lack of water it, it pushes is one of the greatest vision we have here. In other words, we believe that by integrating different sources of energy, we could bring water uh, in the region that will allow us to have water security, right? So if you have the water security, even besides the opportunities that we envision having for both countries and Central America, the key here is to look in forward in the future and solve a problem that those states are having and will become more severe as climate change becomes worse and worse, right? So we're actually solving the water security issue by integrating with energy. Now, you look at the border states, um, a lot of these states, for example, New Mexico, Arizona, and Texas, were actually highly dependent of our local water from the ground, right? So what we want to do is that if you think about it in the Gulf region, in the Pacific, in both sides, we have great wind resources and, 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 and solar. And the idea is to run the salination plan using wind energy, for example. And um, by doing that in the Gulf and the Pacific alone, and as well along the, the border state, right? Because you have a lot of aquifers, and those aquifers, the salinity level is increasing, and the depth of water is becoming uh, lower. So the idea is that we integrate renewable energy to desalinate the, the water along the border, so that way we could provide fresh water that can be used for businesses to grow new companies, but at the same time to also grow agriculture in the region. So, so this is part of the project. So, for example, when we were looking at uh, um, using wind energy, we were looking at, for example, running uh, six megawatts of of capacity in the in the Gulf and in the Pacific, from which we could provide fresh water in some of the sites. Of course, the idea is not just to desalinate the water, but also to use and reuse some of the water along the border states. So, if, if that makes sense, the idea is not only to pump all of that water because it would be very energy intensive to pump all of that water from one side to the other but to leverage the aquifers along the, the border state. Does that make sense? Do you have to clarify? I actually would like you to clarify what you mean by leveraging the aquifers. If you're desalinating the ocean water, how, how do you then leverage aquifers to get it to places like, like Arizona or western Texas? Yes. So if you look in Texas, there, there are several aquifers along the borders, okay? And same is true for New Mexico. And the idea, and same in California, right? So the idea is not just to take the water from the Gulf 
and the Pacific, but also to use some of the aquifers that already have water in, in those regions. Now, the problem with that water in those regions is the salinity level is increasing, okay? So a lot of the aquifers, the water is, has high levels of salinity. So the idea is that we want to use our own system, for example, new technologies using reverse osmosis to desalinate some of that water and be able to use it in the local regions. In other words, so, so by doing that, you, you use the local water that exists, plus also use some of the water that exists in the Gulf and in the Pacific as well. I, so I had a question in terms of the, the power generation and transmission and distribution. Uh, who would own those assets and who would yeah. char- who would charge the customers for that for that energy since it's going on both sides of the of the border and crossing many state you know state lines yes it is one of the challenges of this project right because not only do we have multiple states then you also have two different countries so one of the things that i would like to mention is that this past weekend uh, we had a workshop at UC San Diego, okay? And there we have partners from Mexico, we have people from industry, and people from United States. And one of the key questions that came up was exactly what you were asking me, right? Now, one of the advantages, and we will look at the example in California, right? Particularly in the area between San Diego, the Southern California. And in that region, one of the benefits, for example, is the power line. There are many regions along the border where the power line between, in the vertical direction between U.S. and Mexico already exists, okay? And one of the key things we want to be able to do is to use existing infrastructure to leverage that in order to power, to bring new power between the two countries and in the local region. So let me mention, for example, Mexicali right in, in in that region in that region already exists um a grid a power grid that is shared between um the, the southern part the, the mexico side and also in the united states so by doing that and deploying a, a, an, ex, an anchor project by that i mean a project that will integrate wind and solar and a desalination plant we could do two things first you leverage the power line that exists, that already have the agreement between the two countries. And one could envision having a project in the Mexicali, in the region with Mex- where Mexico, and power the energy, the grid, using wind and solar. And then that energy could be transported to the U.S. side. And by doing that, you could then increase the cooperation between the two countries using existing infrastructure. And this is one of the things we're looking at, right? We're looking how you could leverage existing power transmission line, uh, leverage the best wind or solar resources that exist locally, then to bring the water that is needed in that region. And by doing that, then not only you could create new jobs in both sides, right? Because there will be jobs created the Mexico side, there will be jobs created in the U.S. side. You could also enhance agriculture in that region. You could then, look at this, you could then power, produce the power, sell it into the Mexico side, or you could power and transmission, use transmission line that goes from that region to San Diego or even to L.A. So you could create projects that could be economically more viable than if you were going into a region where there is not a population and where those power transmission do not exist. So if I'm making sense, what, what we're trying to do is at this stage is to identify the best optimal region where, uh, where a project could be deployed. And, and, and this, this is already leveraging the existing agreement that exists. Okay, so for example, when you look at the Baja California, that grid is already shared that same grid that goes into the Mexico side and the Southern California is already shared by the two countries. So this is what part of the, the, the things we want to do. 
leverage existing infrastructure then to enhance the energy generation and bring water security to some of the regions. So it doesn't sound like it requires too much building of new infrastructure too much building of new distribution and transmission infrastructure to clarify. And then it doesn't really sound like the ownership of current assets is really going to change. Whoever that utility is that's running the grid in that area would have to participate and be willing to continue to use those assets and and lease them out or, or however it is that those assets are being used but there's no you know really building of new ones and the ownership of the assets doesn't really change you're just using generation from a new area and exactly Erin and and this is correct and the reason is because we are trying to do to remove complexity as much as possible and by doing this, we could then bring a project actually as quickly as possible where people could say, wow, look at this benefit and the growth that this created. Because at the end of the day, it has to add economic value to the region. This project is, if you think about the 2,000 mile a continuous project, this, this will take several decades, right? But we could take a very big project, and this project is at the level of the Panama Canal, right? We could take small chunks, right? Let's take few packet regions where we could develop the region, bring more energy, and as you pointed out, let's leverage the existing infrastructure to grow this. And by doing that, you reduce the cost further, but at the same time, you bring new opportunities to the region. You could demonstrate new agriculture to the region, and attract new companies that will now benefit from this new energy generation, but most importantly, we're bringing water security. And this is part of our theme here, that we could grow that region by bringing those two things, but let's do it strategically and use the existing resources, use existing partnerships. And this is why this project requires multiple levels of partnerships with the industrial sector, with the local communities, and the government. So this is exciting, you know, as, as uh, engineering. And one of the things you would see here, right, this is not going to be solved by a small group. It has to require a broad range of expertise and a broad range of, of people with different resources and assets. Uh one one group that was left out of that list of of uh, necessary partnerships, you said, was that uh, was the was the regional utilities as well, um, and I, I'm interested in how you would sort of try and what you would do if you needed to convince uh, a, a, a regional utility. Let, let's say, for example, just pulling out a name like El Paso uh, Water and Electric. They're right on. They're they're right on the border, and they may, they may provide. They may do some power and water across the border. I'm not sure, but um, so how would you go about trying to pitch to them you sh that they should sign on to this project because um, it will benefit not their community and also their business. Yes, this is excellent, excellent, and and I will tell you this, uh, Dylan and Erin. One of the things what we're doing in in California we met with one of the uh, power authority companies, right? With Sempra. And we tried to build those partnerships. And the key here is that, right, that when people see a project of this magnitude and every entity has to see the benefit, right? From the industrial side, what would be the benefit for industries? And you could see that many industries providing power or the water will actually see a benefit in terms of being able to reach a broader range of population, right? And that's one plus for them. From the perspective of the community, to be able to bring new energy resources that could potentially be even at a lower cost, even water at the same time with new technologies, this is a plus for the region. That means, and look at this, uh, Mexico, in 2017, has a trading between U.S. and Mexico of the of the third 
Mexico at that time, right? I think my my not my what I understand right now, Mexico is the number one trading partner. But what is important is the amount of trading, six hundred twelve billion dollar trading between U.S. and Mexico. By having new access to energy in communities closer to the border, that means that you could manufacture new parts, new equipment, and and new industries that could be set in that region that could actually reduce the cost of transportation, right? And the trading, we believe, by having this project will enhance the trading between U.S. and Mexico, but most importantly, will create new opportunities for both sides, right? For U.S. and Mexico. And and so not only opportunities at the level of, of people, consumers will have access to new energy, industries will benefit, right? Uh, so it's a win-win at many levels. And I would mention this. This requires, and part of the reason why we have this consortium with universities, is because we want to be able to test and deploy new technologies that can be tested in those sites, you know? And, and by doing that, those new technologies for not only energy and energy storage or energy or water desalination, this will allow us to be able to be at the forefront. So those sites, those projects that we see along the border could actually be testing ground for technologies. Technologies such as what? For example, for reverse osmosis. One, one technology that we're looking right now, it's a very good question, okay? One of the technologies that we're looking right now is creating, you know, when you look at a wind turbine, one of the major challenges is that you have to climb when you have to do repairs of the gearbox. They sometimes break about five years, sometimes seven, and then you have to climb 100 meters. Well, instead of doing that, what we're looking at now is that a prototype of a hydraulic wind turbine in which all of the equipment will be at the, at the ground level. It's gonna be operating by hydraulic power. These are technologies that many people are using currently on big tractors, on big heavy machinery. So the training for people for those equipment it will reduce the time. That means that we could bring people working on oil rigs to this industry. People working on coal will be able to easily be able to be trained to this. So this, this hydraulic wind turbine, we're looking at a new technology to integrate it with a reverse osmosis system. And this new reverse osmosis system that one of our colleagues developed allows to use roughly 30% less energy to desalinate the water. So when you add different technologies that reduce the cost, then we're, we feel that we could actually make water uh, treatment cheaper than what we currently have. And this is one of the key things we want to do in these projects, right? So look at this. We want to be able to provide training for force development so both sides of the region could benefit we also want to test new technologies that can be tested and deployed there, but at the same time, we want to be able to create the largest innovation park ever built in the world. Think about taking nearly 2,000 uh, miles for innovation for a technology park. Imagine all of the new products, new industries that could be set along this border in, in many sectors. And that's the key things we want to be able to do. This is a prosperity part that we want. I think one of the biggest challenges facing today's utilities is they have what seems to be very large obstacles to overcome, whether that's, you know, decarbonizing the grid, um, incorporating more resources into into their resource portfolio, becoming more digital, providing consumers with better experiences that are more on demand. What I'm getting at is a lot of utilities are looking at very large projects right now and just kind of saying, I'm not sure where to start, or I'm not really sure how to tackle what seems to be this very monumental issue. It's a significant almost, you know, transformation in the way they conduct business. So I would assume, you know, having a project that's so large like this, you have to start to go to kind of those individual 
areas of the border and start to talk to those different utilities and say, here's what we're thinking for this area. And here is where we can start instead of being so, you know, overwhelming by having this, this huge plan laid out, maybe, you know, taking some of the more specific pieces that are more reasonable starting places exactly. and then going from there. So I wanted to ask a question before we got away from, you know, a little bit more of the particulars. I think, Luciano, you said six megawatts of wind for desalinating the water. Was that correct? Oh, we were looking at 600 megawatts. Six wind, wind turbine. Yes, yes. And what about the expected capacity for solar? Because you you have mentioned a lot of solar and wind playing a very, very large role in in the desalination process. But Overall, what are you guys expecting for installed capacity on solar? Yeah, so th this is a very, very good question. And Erin, and you, you were alluding to a very, very important problem, right? And I will address this question. Um, if you look at the entire project, obviously, if, if you think about doing this over 2,000 miles, it's very overwhelming. And But one of the things that we're trying to push forward is a strategy that even though we could create a master plan addressing the entire region is to identify key regions where a project could be deployed and show great success. And the reason is because then we, one could look at a local region and identify, okay, in this region, for example, let's go to Mexicali example, we do have great resources of wind, we have great resource of solar, right? And and we also have some agriculture in that region. What would be the optimal combination that we could integrate, for example, even with natural gas, that would make this this project more resilient, but at the same time economically viable for for people to buy the electricity, and at the same time to create the the water project, right? To desalinate the water. So so this is what we're thinking, right? How do you identify spots, packet regions along the border where some of these projects could first be deployed? Okay. Now, when we did the calculation, when we were looking at a very basic um, solar panel, solar PV, and I would like to address this, that we're looking with experts in California in, at UC San Diego with our colleague Carlos Coimbra, that it is very possible to use concentrated solar in some of the regions and have a natural integration with a natural gas cycle. And by doing this, you could make more effective power production in some of the regions, okay? So when we were looking over the entire border, simply putting put uh, solar PV, uh, we were looking that if you simply put two rows of, of solar panels along the border and just simply put solar PV, we were looking at that you could basically generate about 16 gigawatts of hour per day in some of these regions, okay? Now, this is simply making it simplistic, in a simplistic form. Now, the overall project, depending how many rows of solar panels you could add, or if you have combinations, let's, think, let's mention this, if you have combination where we bring solar PV with concentrated solar and wind, then the capacity of the entire project will be very different, right? And and it should be very different. So the point what, that I wanted to address here is that one of the key things here to determine and the terrain complexity will not necessarily allow us to put solar PV everywhere, right? So the key here is to determine, given the, the, the wind and the solar resource along the border, which regions would be optimum to put solar PV or solar concentrated and then integrated with wind. There would be some regions, for example, in Arizona, that doesn't make any sense to put uh, wind power because there's not enough wind in that region. However, New Mexico and regions in Texas will be optimum for, for wind and for both, right? Wind and solar, and same in California. So part of this is to determine where do we place what resource of, of energy and how much. And the amount depends, for example, do you have power lines close by that you could leverage? And also, 
if there's enough population that will benefit from that, right? Because you don't want to create the 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 the, the power if the, nobody's going to buy it, right? So that's part of this. We need to, and this is an optimization problem, given the resources, given the populations, and given the assets that we have, where it makes more sense to start a project and where it makes more sense to actually do it. The transmission lines, as you know, every mile costs about, what, a million dollars? So this could be easily, extremely expensive just to put the transmission lines. So that's why it's more important, as you pointed out, localize some of these power generations as much as possible. When you're thinking about how to, you know, tailor the the portfolio to the to the region, um, how do you go about addressing the, the the very common reliability concerns surrounding these large scale renewable projects? You large, you know, namely that people need power 24 hours a day and uh, the sun isn't always out, the wind isn't always blowing. Um, the, the, you know, you've talked a lot about the water security, but what about the uh, electric uh, security and reliability? This is a great question, Dylan. Excellent question. Let, and if you're in Texas, for example, um, and one of the reasons, one of the reasons why we talk about the integration of sun and wind is because of that coupling, right? If you think about, it, for example, in the Texas region, the Gulf region, all the way along many uh, regions along the border, you have both great access for sun and wind. Now, sometimes you have sun, other times you don't have the wind, right? So this leverage, for example, at night, you still have nice wind, but you don't have the sun. During the day, you could have both. So the idea is that when you marry both of those resources, that allows to become more uh, resilient power generation. Now, what else do you have in that region? In abundance, natural gas. So if you think about integrating natural gas with solar and wind, that allows to be more reliable in terms of the power generation. And depending on what time of the day you need to provide the, the high demand, this could be a great benefit. In other words, one of the issues, and you alluded to the issue of the energy storage, and that's necessary to have, but by actually integrating different sources of energy, you bring an intermittent energy generation system, such as wind and solar, and you make it more reliable by doing the integration. Okay? And, and that's the benefit we see. In fact, one big problem that we see by interconnecting different time zones is that if you look at the time zones in California and in Texas region, you could take advantage of the time zones to provide energy at high demand when people get up first in Texas region and then when they get up later in California, you could also meet the demand in that region as well. So part of this, this here is how can we play with time zones and integrating different sources of energy to make a power system that is reliable and still futuristic, right? Because, uh, and, and something that I want to mention, we've been talking about the water security a lot. A lot of the sources of energy that depends on, for example, nuclear, um, natural gas, and coal, all of those sources of energy require a lot of water in their cooling. Okay, they use a lot of water in the cooling. So if you use the argument that the Southwest does not have water, obviously it's a desert, then we should not be reliant sources of energy that use water in the production of electricity. Does that make sense? So by bringing renewable, you're actually saving water that will otherwise will be have been used in the production of that electricity if we were use other sources. So we we believe that integration must exist, but at the minimum level. And the idea is that we don't want to depend so much on the water for the production of electricity. Okay? So if you think about, uh, for example, solar PV or wind energy, those two sources of energy use very minimum amount of water in the production of electricity, right? Because you've seen 
the sun or you're using the wind, the kinetic energy from the wind. And that saving is very, very essential in our future security of water, not only in the Southwest, but in other countries. Does that make sense? I mean, if, if, if you connect this with the, the first book from Michael Weber, which I'm a fan of his work, you see that many countries, I mean, one billion people do not have access to water. But part of that is because they don't have the electricity. Now, you, and let's look at the example for Cape Town. And I'm moving this a little bit, just as an illustration. If you look at Cape Town in South Africa, you, you're surrounded by sun, you are surrounded by wind, and you have salt water. And yet, some of the power generation systems that they're using rely on water for cooling of their power plant. You're in a vicious cycle. So our argument is that renewable energy could be integrated to some of those systems as a way not only to provide power, but as a way to save water. This is one of the most important things of renewable energy, that you're actually saving water in its generation. This statement, in my opinion, is one of the strongest statements as to why renewable energy is so important. And I want to stress this. I am not saying we need to ignore nuclear, coal, and other sources. We have to embrace them. But we have to integrate them with renewables in a way that will solve the intermittency issue. But at the same time, it has to be done in a way that we save water. This is very, very, very critical. And, and many cities uh, are estimated that will face the same fate as Cape Town in South Africa in the future. Luciano, I believe it's about you know 10% of the water consumed in the United States goes to the energy sector, and a lot of that is in you know energy producing fuels. We're here in Texas, and we know that you know hydraulic fracking, <laughs> hydraulic fracking is very water intensive. And then in the reverse side, you know, your, yeah, your energy becomes dependent upon your ability to get that water where it's needed, at the right temperature it's needed, when it's needed, which also requires even more energy sometimes to even get the water to produce the energy. So it is this very intertwined process right now with these traditional fuel types like coal and and ONG and, and nuclear. And if you can kind of, you know, delineate and take some of that uh, water usage away from fuel production, then it makes both the water system and the energy system more independent and, and secure from that standpoint. Because in Texas and in California, there are things like, you know, droughts. And if we don't have enough water, then we can't produce fuel and then we don't have energy. So it's it's this very um, great idea that I think a lot of people are now focusing on and trying to take away some of that water usage and energy production and in the same way, uh, yeah. limiting the amount of energy we have to use to consume and clean and move water as well. This, this is, you, you know, Aaron, this, 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 state, this point that we're addressing, and I'm very glad that you're asking me this question, and actually framing this, in, in Texas, right? I mean, Texas and New Mexico, you are really, I mean, and, and in a good way, right? You have the natural gas creating a new economy for the region. And, and but the challenge, and, and they have, we have to develop new ways for cooling and extract the, the, the sources, right? Uh, is this notion that a lot of the water, and actually the numbers that I have seen, that the water that is withdrawn for energy production in the United States is higher than 10%. Actually, that number is more than the 45%, okay? Even more than what we use for agriculture. So this, 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 this issue could be a crisis in the future if we don't address that in the right way. However, however, one of the exciting things that we're proposing along the border with this project, as you saw it, that we were going to take some of the water from the aquifers to desalinate. Think about this, bringing this wind energy with reverse osmosis system that we're proposing in 
the purification of the extraction of the water ejected from the natural gas extraction, right? We could use that system to clean that water and then be able to use that water for reuse in the extraction of some of the, the fuel or even for agriculture. And many of these sites right now, that water are put in the, from the natural gas when it's extracted, are put in these artificial pools and that water is wasted, is evaporated. And part of that problem, we could address it by creating this partnership. And this is what we believe that we have to do, right? Create this consortium of experts with industry and find new ways to tackle some of these challenges. And, and if you're looking at regions like Texas, New Mexico, that do not have the water, and but yet you're using the water for purposes that in the future may not necessarily provide us security, this will create a major problem in the future. So the, this is the, the a bonus benefit of this project, right? Saving the water. And, and this is something that other countries are facing and not just the, the, the Southwest. Mexico have this issue with water. And this is one of the, the reasons why we believe this project is uniquely, right? Because now you have a country like Mexico too, who has also problems with water that now could have water security by tapping into this collaboration with us in along the border. So this is one benefit that, that we have. And this is what this project is unique, right? We're bringing water security and prosperity to the region. So one thing I just kind of wanted to clarify uh, is uh, clearly a lot of the a lot of the challenges in a project of this scale are mostly logistical in terms of how you actually get uh, the necessary people and partnerships on board to make this sort of thing a reality. Um, but I was curious if there are any. Uh, technologically limiting factors? Because a lot of the technologies you've talked about are are fairly new. Um, and, you know, some of, some of the ways of mitigating uh, drawbacks with implementation of those technologies, you know, a la storage, uh, are also in sort of nascent periods of their life. So is this a project that could potentially, like, begin now or is it something where we're going to have to wait for si newer systems to be tested newer technologies to be uh made more secure uh yeah. that, that that's what i'm curious about yeah very very good question right a lot of these technologies already exist in the market right um of course some of the new ones that i was discussing with you about the hydraulic turbine or a batch reverse osmosis system those are coming into line and will be tested pretty soon. So the, the answer to your question, we don't have to wait, right? I mean, you have the, the solar technologies very mature at this level, at this stage. There are things that could be deployed. Of course, the project, and, and as Erin mentioned before, we don't have to think of this project of a 2,000 mile project. We could think about of patches packets of projects that can be deployed uh, uh, on, on a given year, right? And, and right now, that's what we're looking. We're looking how could we, where can we deploy a, an initial project that could show success? And the technologies, as some of them get mature, could bring online. And, and even when you create the project with the existing technologies, can be, this can be done. And think about this. I mean, we sent a man to the moon. We have solved more complex problems. This one, right? So, so I have a lot of faith that the the partnership with, with the different sectors will lead to something fruitful for us immediately. And I think that by us demonstrating a project of this magnitude, we'll actually show how U.S. and Mexico creatively look at a solution and other countries could follow, right? Other countries along the around the board could actually look at this project as an example of what they can do. And this is why we're very optimistic and very excited that such project could lead to a lot of positive things for U.S. and Mexico 
and obviously Central America, where people lack opportunities. About an hour, but Luciano, I actually had a question I wanted to ask you, not really related to the project, um, but it's actually something that Dylan and I, we talk about a lot at C Prime, and that is um, engaging younger generations just to be you know, interested in solving energy and water issues within our communities. And you work in an um, educational environment. So my question for you is, you know, are, what are you... What are you most excited for when you, you know, when you work with your students, when you're working, you know, with younger people who are interested in, in solving these challenges? Does that excite you? What are you seeing from them um, that makes you think, you know, a project like this could actually happen? Yes, this is a very good question, Erin. And one, as as a professor, one of the things that that brings a lot of passion to me is to bring the students, to see these young generations of students, to look at these projects and get so enthusiastic that what they're doing will make the life of somebody better. You know, right now in my lab, I have over 20 students, even high school students. They want to come and be part of this. And right now I brought one student from high school that is spending a week with us, and we have students from all, all walks of life. And the number one thing they want to be on this is because they know they're working on something that is important for our environment. They know that when they're working on this, they're helping our environment. They know that bringing water to people, and, and I will tell you this, the project we're looking at the southwest of the United States is not unique to that region, right? And, and going back to the book by Michael Weber, you look at people in Peru, you look at people in China, in India, Africa, that have to walk miles and miles to get water. These projects, the way we're solving this, could actually be deployed in those regions. So for my students to see that they are working passionately into something that will help people's lives is, is something that, for me, I, I only get to, to live that, right? to see their happiness, their joyful moment that they're doing something that is better for others. And the millennials, as you know, many of these millennials, they they care about that, right? They care about the environment. They care about others. And these projects actually are is doing that, right? And and we hope that as we build this this institute that are gonna be along the borders we would help training people that otherwise would not have the opportunity to get educated and learn advanced technologies that now they could deploy into the region. We are talking about new technologies to bring, for example, bring artificial intelligence for agriculture, right? And, and these are things that they get excited, and I'm very excited, and, and, and I want to continue working on this because I'm looking at their faces I'm looking at the faces of my young colleagues. You know, a lot of my colleagues involved in this are very young. Some are more senior, but we have a broad range of people. And at the end, we all believe that we could provide new solutions to society that will go beyond what any human being could do by itself, right? Because this is a teamwork. And, and this is what I'm excited. This is what I'm very grateful to both of you to actually do this type of podcasts that are needed. People need to see different alternatives. And at the end of the day, when we combine different talents, we could come up with better solutions that a single person could do. And and we, we talk about some solutions, but those are not unique solutions, right? I do believe that as we engage more people, better brains and people in Mexico, people in other countries, we will come up with even better solutions that I just articulated today on behalf of our consortium, right? So so this is why I'm, I love to be a professor. This is one of the reasons why I'm very blessed to be able to work on things that I'm passionate, but at the same time, create opportunities for the next generation. And it's that generation that is gonna make this world better for all of us. And uh, that's why I'm so I'm here today and, and I thank you both of you for 
the privilege to this, share this view with your audience. And I hope that as more and more people listen to this, more people get to collaborate with us, but at the same time, to look at other problems in society that need the young generation to get involved. You know what I mean? We need these young minds to look at other problems of aging, cancer, and other social issues that we, we could solve with, this, with access, with opportunities. And energy and water is creating the opportunities needed for other generations in Latin America to benefit from the knowledge we have here in the U.S. Well, thank you very much uh, for that, Luciano, and we appreciate you coming on and talking about uh, this with us. It was our pleasure as well. Uh, and if people want to find out more about this project, where can they go? Yes, so, so we will deploy a website for our consortium that is going to be at Purdue. Uh, the website should be online this coming week, and that is the type VWIP, you know, the the name of the project, they will be able to see it there. They will see some of the development that we're doing. And a lot of new things are happening. And I'm looking forward to share more with you in the future, some of the projects that we hope to do in the next several months. And uh, I'm looking forward to share more with you in the future. Aaron, thanks for thanks for coming on and having this discussion with uh, Professor Luciano. I think that this is going to be, you know, this is a large project, but I'm encouraged that Luciano is talking about how collaborative it needs to be, engaging high school students, engaging communities in on the border who probably traditionally, you know, never thought they would be working in renewable energy. So it has to be a group effort to get this thing done. Yes, indeed, indeed. And I, I'm looking forward to, to see this project evolving over time and see the next generation getting involved. And we, you will see it. And sometimes when you have a chance to come to Purdue, please come and see the lab. And, and if you come to the lab, the number one thing that you will be shocked is to see how many young people are working on this project. And, and starting from high school, we have students from high school that come and work in our project. And, and that's something that you will be excited to see. And uh, with this, I look forward to work with you in the future and keep doing a great job, okay? You're doing, this is needed. This is critical, okay? It very much is. You can find our research and media at etsinsights.com. By the time this post, we'll have just finished wrapping up our EV road trip. So uh, look look for content on that coming out shortly. And also check out social media for the play-by-play on how that went. Uh, We're Mm -hmm. really looking forward to seeing how Aaron's journey across Texas goes. To find that social media, it is at cprime underscore research, at dylockwood, and at Aaron Hardick. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time. 